podcasting from anywhere other than a jail cell, this is Soberholic, a podcast created to encourage, equip, and inspire you to overcome your hurts, habits, and hangups. And now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome back to Soberholic Podcast. My name's Roger Bose. I'm in studio with Jason Rice, and today we're going to be talking to you about sobriety. Oh, really? Yeah, every day sobriety, right? Why? Because it's called Soberholic Podcast. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That is what we talk about. Yeah. yeah. So uh, here's here's the thought for today. As I was thinking about show ideas, um, I'm not always the best about giving illustrations, but I thought of this. So we're still living in COVID days, and one of the ways they check you for COVID is with a your temperature, whether it's good or bad, right? Um, and if it's too high, you know, that's one of the, I guess, the characteristics of possibly having COVID. Well, I got to thinking about us in recovery. Um, there are, I don't know if there's really, a, well, there's not a traditional thermometer for us to check our sobriety. But if you look at it through this ideal of, um, of kind of rating your sobriety, is it good? Is it bad? I think we can use the same ideal of this thermometer. You know, if you're if you're checking for a sickness, um, you, you kind of have a baseline. Is it ninety eight point one? I think is your baseline that like. I think it's changed actually. Has it really? It was ninety eight point six, but I think it's a different now. Point six. Okay. See. I'm no, close. it was point six. Now it might be different now. Oh, I don't know. Okay, we'll we'll stick with yours. Ninety eight point six. Whatever it is, there's a baseline there. And so anything above that, you would say you're in a temperature that your body's, you know, trying to fight something off. There, there's something going wrong um, that could p- potentially be worse down the road. And then if you stay below that number, you know, because you do, your body never stays in one area. I mean, it, it changes around. And so if you're below that that baseline, you're you're doing pretty good. And so I, I think I kind of think it, recovery looks the same way. There's there's this probably this baseline, which I don't really know where it's at in recovery. I don't really know, think none of us do, but there are indicators just like your temperature that, that shows maybe you're doing things right or you're doing things wrong. And that's kind of what I want to talk to us about. You know, there's things that would, would tell us that we have, you know, that our sobriety is kind of stable as, mm-hmm. as stable as it could be. And yeah. there's, there's things that would indicate that our sobriety is struggling. Yeah. And um, I think that we could do a two-part show on these two ideas of struggling sobriety and stable sobriety. And for me, um, well, which one, which one you want to start with? Let's do struggling sobriety. Struggling sobriety to start with. Okay. So I look, live both of these. So well, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> and honestly, I've now been in the stable sobriety longer than I was in the struggling sobriety, which is a blessing. Yeah. But if you look at the idea of a struggling sobriety, I think that um, you will see some indicators, and those indicators we're going to talk about today. And just as a a temperature would read, there's different um, remedies to treat um, that fever. If it was a fever of, let's just say, a 92 or uh, I'm sorry, a hundred and you'd be about dead. For we'll, say ni- <laughs> we'll say 90, uh, 99 or a uh, hundred would be treated differently than a 104 temperature. Sure. You yeah. know? Oh yeah. Um, and I think even with these, even though you're maybe struggling, you, 
to get back on track to a stable recovery would look different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we'll really get into a lot of the remedies to it. We just want to see the indicators of what it looks like. Yeah. Um, if you were running a so-called temperature in sobriety. Right. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. What's the first, what you, what do you want to start with? Let's start with, I want to start with, um, somebody who's in recovery and this somebody has been me before and is going to zero meetings whatsoever and is doing nothing as far as like in their weekly routine to actually like work on recovery. So I'll give you for instance. So like I, when I first came into the rooms, um, I don't know, it was probably 10, 10, 11 years ago, you know, I was going to meetings. I was going, I did the 90 and 90. I was going to meetings every day, even for several years after that. But we've talked about the whole frequency of meeting issue before and how there's not a one size fits all for it. But at this point in my sobriety, I was so early on that like I, I needed to be going to meetings, but I started slacking off on my meetings to where I was really only going to one a week. And then, and then I was going to none and I wasn't talking to my sponsor. I had no kind of like, you know, spirituality going whatsoever. There was no spiritual maintenance going on and I relapsed. Mm-hmm. And you know, looking back on that time, like not having me a meeting, you know, stopping going to meetings was a was a large part in that last relapse that I had. Now, you know, would I relapse if I would have kept on going to meetings? Maybe, maybe not. I, you know, it, it's it's hard to tell, but it was an indicator of my overall recovery health that I just completely stopped going. And I and it wasn't because of like coronavirus or anything like right. you know I mean the the last year has been a unique set of circumstances with coronavirus and all, but I definitely think if if somebody's in recovery they're going to regular meetings whether that's you know three a month or one a week or five a week or whatever, and you just stop, I definitely think that can indicate you know, uh, or it could lead to a struggling sobriety. Right. I mean, even if you're not a spiritual person, even if you're not even sold on the recovery thing, most experts would agree that if you're going to stop a habit, you need to replace it with something else. Um, you know, like if you're going to, for food, uh, for example, if you're going to try to lose weight, you know, you need to quit eating one thing and begin doing some gym, I mean, that would be the replacement yeah. there. And I think in recovery for us, especially early on, when I say early on, you know, maybe the first five years, I don't know when that cutoff is, as, as you said, we've talked about before, but there's a, there's a period of time where you're trying to remove the substance away from your body. And for most of us, especially in a 12 step program, you replace it with meetings. Yeah. And so that's very important to do that, to kind of reprogram yourself to begin looking for healthy alternatives. Um, and when you fail to do that, your, your recovery can struggle for sure. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that kind of piggybacks off of that is, is when you don't have or you neglect to be in contact with your sponsor or your you know recovery network. Um, well, on my last relapse, I stopped talking to my my sponsor. What do they know? Yeah, what does this guy know? Yeah. And uh, you know that was like you know that my sponsor didn't call me. You know um, that was uh, 
the way it was back then and the way it is with a lot of still with a lot of people. And I mean, you know, we've talked about that before about, you know, does this, or if you're a sponsor, should you call the person or whatever? Anyway, I've stopped calling them. I stopped talking to them and everything and, uh, wasn't talking to anybody in recovery, um, leading up to my relapse. And so, uh, and I, and I think that's the value in, in meetings, even if you're not into 12 steps or you're not into the whole, you know, um, 12 step method or whatever, like most, most clinical experts would agree that like peer support is vital when you're trying to, um, get rid of an addiction or com- combat, you know, some kind of addiction in your life, whether it's drugs or alcohol or not, peer support is huge. And when you're not talking to anybody in recovery, when you don't, you know, you know, when you're not sharing that burden, you know, with somebody else who's, who's been in the same position as you, you know, your, your, your sobriety is probably going to struggle. Yeah. I've even noticed myself doing, um, you mentioned the peer support and I think it's great because what we do is we begin to mimic those that we are around. Yeah. And I've seen kind of the opposite of this. That's not been very healthy for me. Um, I'm, I'm typically around a lot of church people and here lately I have not been around a lot of church people. I've kind of gravitated towards a different, um, group of people and which they cuss a lot, like a (laughs) lot. And I like more than I've probably heard in years. And I found myself cussing, you know, um, and mm-hmm. so it's kind of strange, but that's the circle I've been around. So it begins to rub off on me and mm-hmm. I begin to mimic what I see. And so that's not healthy for me. I don't know that I'm going to go relapse over that, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it definitely plays a part on me. And so in the beginning, if, or at any time for that matter, um, being around other like-minded people who are going through what you're going with can better understand, you know, what's going on yeah. and help you through those difficult times. And when you remove yourself from all that, you may find yourself struggling. <laughs> Another thing that I've noticed is that um, when you get in that position, like you mentioned, your sponsor not calling you, um, it's easy to begin to blame other people. Yeah. And so when we begin to fall in this victim mentality of always blaming everyone else for our problems, then you you probably find yourself struggling in recovery. Now, you may not think that you're struggling in recovery at this point because, um, in fact, I heard this in a meeting this past Tuesday. He said, when I begin to see how stupid all y'all really are, then the problem's not how stupid y'all are. The problem is me. <laughs> and I'm like, I can so identify with this because I, I found myself doing this a lot of times that I, I see everybody else's problems so much that I think that I, it's not like I walk around arrogant, but I'm more focused on your problems than what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. And that that typically leads to destruction for yeah. me. Yeah. For me, that happened to me while I was going to meetings every day. And, you know, looking back now, like you, you can go to three meetings a day and have terrible recovery. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we've both seen that. Yeah, and, the, those saying meeting makers make it, I don't know if it's necessarily know. true. Yeah. And for me, like I was like uh, – you know, big book thumper, whatever, you know, quoting big book and everything. And, you know, kind of had almost made meetings and 12, 12 step in the big book. Like that was my higher power, you know, really. Um, and I would, I would look down on, you know, people if, if they, 
you know, misquoted the big book or whatever. And I was always critiquing people when they shared, which is horrible, mm-hmm. you know. And so I look back and I'm like, you know, that was, you know, my my recovery was struggling during that time, even though I was going to meetings all the time. And, you know, it, there you have no peace when you're focused on everybody else's problems, you know. And it, it's, a, it's a horrible place to live in. Yeah, um, problems seems to always be something that comes around when you are struggling. In fact, when I was in active addiction, drama was the one thing that I loved to create or be a part of. In fact, I really didn't know how to operate without it. Um, the more that was there, the more I thrived. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was sick. It was this very sick relationship. And it took a long time for me to separate myself from the drama and to to just worry about me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my sponsor used to tell me all the time, Roger, ain't none of your business. Well, he would say it a little different way. Yeah. But uh, uh, and, and it took me forever to really grasp that. Like, I understood the meaning, but until, like, the light switch came on in my head, uh, I was like, you know, why am I, why am I bothering myself with all this other stuff? But if you find yourself just stirring up, stirring the pot, you know, and yeah. creating drama, um, it's it's very difficult for your recovery to be very healthy in that type of atmosphere. Yeah, uh, whether it's being stirring the pot with your family or with your group or or whatever. There used to be a sign inside of our old AA group. It, it, I guess it's still there. It said, "If you've had a drink uh, today, what, what was that saying?" If you've had a drink today, you're not a member of AA. Oh man, that that's gone. They took it down. That thankfully. creates so much problems. And um I was not I, true. I call world services about it and, and I asked them about it. They said, Oh no, that that is so wrong. That needs to be taken down. Yeah. And so now i I'm validated. I can yeah. <laughs> I can tell our group conscious that it's wrong. Take it down. Yeah. And I told my sponsor what I was fixing to do. He said, Roger, really? Who cares? Won't you just go drink whiskey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was just, I was just trying to, to stir the pot. I mean, mm. whether I was right or wrong, I was just trying to make a big deal. I mean, it, it wasn't nothing for a newcomer to see that. But I was, I was really doing it with wrong motives. Sure, and I mean, you know, when you see people come in, they get sober, and even a year later or whatever, like their life is just still just as crazy as it was out there. And it's because you know we we get used to that drama. And we get used to the chaos in our life, and it's hard. It's kind of an addiction in and of itself, you know, that chaos or whatever. And, you know, especially with relationships, I noticed leading up to my last um, relapse that, like, I was just creating drama, especially in relationships, just for for no apparent reason, you know. Um, mainly, I guess, because I was headed for a relapse. <laughs> <laughs> sobriety was struggling yeah it was definitely struggling yeah. now um you may not di- you may disagree with me on this but i believe that if you're um if you're just really struggling with your responsibilities or uh mismanaging just finances all of these things I believe personally that's going to lead to a relapse down the road not necessarily the act of not paying a bill would would, would do it but um if you're always struggling with money if you find yourself arguing with your wife about where things are are going um you 
you're not worried about your kids' school, you know, just letting them do whatever. And, you know, just just responsibilities in whole. You know, you, you, you always show up late for work, mm-hmm. all of these things. If you see all that, I believe that you're going to find yourself struggling in recovery because as we mature in recovery, those things should get better. You know, I, I always believed and I heard that, you know, recovery will teach you how to be a productive member of society. Mm. And to be a productive mem- member of society, you need to be responsible about things. And those things are just, as I said, paying your bills, you know, getting to work on time, taking care of your kids, being a good father or wife or husband or, you know, all of those things um, are important. And you should be learning how to do those things better. Yeah. I mean, and responsibilities are, you know, they pile up real easy and to where it's just like a snowball effect where if you let one responsibility go, then you're, you're going to let another one go. And then before you know it, you've got an avalanche of stuff, you know, coming down on top of you and it can be easy for that type of stuff, especially financial things to overwhelm you and then you're just like, oh, oh well, screw it. I'm just going to drink, you know. Um, it can easily, you know, snowball out of hand that way. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll look back at my own life, and then there was times where because I was in recovery, I was just like, you know what? I don't make a lot of money at this job, but it's, it's good enough, you know. Yeah, I'm still living at my mom's house <laughs> at at you know 28 or whatever, <laughs> right. but this this is working. Yeah, right. And I kind of I kind of see that now as like like not being responsible. Like I wasn't I wasn't trying to to progress ahead, which the fact that I wasn't progressing ahead, progressing like you know financially and you know trying to be more independent and take care of all my responsibilities and actually act my age it kind of fed back into like, you know, some level of depression and self-worth and all those things. And so it's kind of like a feedback loop, you know, that you can get stuck in, you know, when you're not handling your responsibilities, you're not trying to better yourself in just the normal day-to-day, you know, responsibilities that we have in life. It can lead back to, um, you know, some things um, that will, you know, bring about a, a, a relapse in some form or fashion. Talking about acting your age. Um, you know, I, I personally believe that you've kind of, um, you stop growing when you start doing drugs. What I mean by that is I started using around 16 and I got clean when I was about 26, give or take a few years. I ain't done the math right here for the show, but so when I got sober at 26, I was acting like a 16 year old. Um, and I really believe that because I've yeah. seen that with too many people. I mean, it could be 16 and 55. It, it really works the same. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a lot of hurdles for us in recovery to jump because now you're tasked at being an adult, but you're still acting like a kid, and you're having to learn not only how to stay sober, but how to be mature as well. And so you're going to fail at it. I mean, you're not going to do it perfectly. But for me personally, um, and for others that I know, it it was a blessing because I had, when I got sober, I had screwed up so many things and burnt so many bridges. All I really had to worry about was me. Um, there was no no wife, no kids, none of those things to worry about. And so I focused on myself, trying to to get to get better. 
And so when I had no responsibilities, no job, no nothing, then the responsibility slowly came back. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have to tackle all, I didn't have to be a husband and a father and, and work a business and all of these different things at one time. You know, I kind of gradually put things on my plate, which made it a little easier for me. But I know not everybody has that. Yeah. I mean, as long, I think as long as you're, you're putting one foot in front of the other and you're, even if the progress is really slow, um, as long as you're making progress, you know, and of course you'll have setbacks here and there, but, um, I always used to get, and this was, you know, just me no, you know, kind of blaming other people and, and seeking out resentments early on in recovery. You know, I was a year sober and I remember like somebody else who had gotten sober, like at the same time as me, you know, got like a, had a lot better job than me, you know, and bought a house. And I was like, that's not fair, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, who cares, you know? And, uh, I was still making progress somewhat. And, uh, you know, I think as long as you're, as you're working towards it, you know, that's, that's good. But there's no, there's no like, you know, you're not getting graded on it. You know, it's, it's you're not, you're not going to have a grade on this and it's just, it's about progress, not perfection. Which that to me brings up another great point is that one of the biggest struggles I had and still have is looking, comparing myself to other people who didn't go into recovery, like who didn't have addiction problems and saying, okay, um, this was a classmate I, I, you know, I had in school who's now 40 years old and he's got all these things. Now here I am just getting sober, you know, at 40 and I have so much catching up to do. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, I can keep seeing how far, how many things I screwed up on and go, well, it'd just be easier to go get high. It'd be easier to go get drunk. And, and that was a huge, um, hurdle for me to overcome for years. Now, thankfully I've kind of squeezed that gap down to where usually I comparing myself to peers, uh, I'm not too far behind now and maybe even ahead of some of them, but, um, that was a difficult thing for me. And I, and I don't think it's healthy to compare yourself to anyone period, but that didn't stop me from doing it. Right. Yeah. And. And then I think another factor that would reveal that your sobriety is struggling would be just harboring like a, just a load of resentments, you know, like if you, if you are just always carrying around resentments and you're jumping from one to, to the, to another, or you're just hanging on to this one and, you know, in the process, or if you've never worked a fourth or fifth step or whatever, you know, I, I think I think having those resentments, it's gonna it's gonna poison your recovery. You know, and it's gonna prevent it from moving forward, and then eventually it's gonna lead lead to relapse or whatever. Because I, I truly do believe that whole uh, thing in the big book where it says, you know, resentments is the number one offender. Because whenever I've been like had the most, you know, the hardest time in my sobriety it's usually been over resentments, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't over because my, my bank account was low. It wasn't over because I didn't like my job. It wasn't over any of that kind of stuff, that material stuff. It was, it was because I had a resentment that, you know, I, I, I didn't work through or that had come up and I didn't deal with. 
Well, a ton of resentment shows a couple of things. One, it shows there's something going on with you. I mean, we, we talked about that a minute ago. But it also, to me, shows that you never did a four-step um, or a effective one. I mean, you did right. something um, because your sponsor would have helped you with your fifth step had you have done a good four-step. And if you did do a good one, it shows now that you've quit doing a tenth step, which when you know con- continuing to take a personal inventory. Because um, people still piss me off. I mean, there's just no other way around that. They do, but they don't seem to piss me off like they used to. Like now, if you make, like you've made me mad before because um, maybe we didn't do a show a day that I wanted to or whatever. But it's okay, you know. Those things happen. But then, you know, I haven't figured out how to kill you yet. You know, like, <laughs> I, I'm still not watching the ID channel. Going, oh, that's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a big difference in those two things. Oh, you yeah. know, so you can get aggravated with someone because we're not we're just humans. I yeah. mean, my wife makes me mad. My kids make me mad. Heck, my pastor makes me mad. Yeah. But um, you know, it's how I deal with those things. I don't walk around figuring out how I can get even today. Right. Yeah. And then I, I think another um, obvious, super obvious uh, sign that your sobriety is struggling is if you're having a lot of run-ins with the police <laughs> over different things. <laughs> if we've made it to this point, uh, yeah, there are major problems going yeah. on. I mean, which, you know, that, that kind of ties back into the chaos and stuff. Like, I, I've seen people that, you know, are sober, but somehow they're still having run-ins with the police over either it's domestic things or stealing or whatever. I mean, I, I've only been, I think this time I've been sober, I've been pulled over once in seven years. And it was from, you know, I was speeding. I got a speeding ticket on the interstate in New Orleans. But, I mean, I still have that sixth sense of when a cop is nearby. Like, I mean, the cop can be behind me and I can just feel it. And I look in my rear view mirror, turn around. I'm like, oh, there's a policeman. Because I just, am I the only one? No, I used to be that way. But honestly, now I'm completely oblivious to what happens. I I just, I don't even, I mean, I know you don't care. I don't care now. I don't have the spotty sense for it anymore. I kind of still, I don't think that's ever going to go away. But I don't worry, like, you know, the the relief that i have when i see a cop and there's nothing for me to worry about i still it's just still kind of amazing to me you know now i do find myself you know because i'm always speeding i never do the speed limit so i'm always looking way ahead to find the cop on the side of the road yeah or like you mentioned i pass one and i you know i never wear a seatbelt unless the, the car don't quit dinging but in my truck fortunately it don't ding at me uh to make me buckle up so i'll have to slide that across my shoulder where nobody can you know the cop can't get me for a, a seatbelt <laughs> violation uh so th- th- i mean there's still things i do wrong but I, I get what you're saying if like if, if you're always fighting with your wife and the cops are constantly coming to your house and um you find yourself shoplifting and getting caught for stuff like that. Those are old behaviors, and yeah. they're they're definitely going to lead back to an old lifestyle. Yeah, you haven't changed those habits. You haven't right. replaced those habits. Yeah, and then um, you know, stress management is a big part. Oh, because yeah. you're going to deal with things, whether it be resentments, you know, or or you know, just people in general. It may be your job. You know, the your boss is just a horrible person and wants to treat you like crap and you having to figure out to navigate this 
work thing now because you have to work because you're actually at work because you want to be a productive member of society (laughs) and so you find another job this is how you're providing for your family or whatever so you're you're having to figure out how to react to stress and um sometimes that's really difficult Mm -hmm. because what we did in the past was when we got found ourselves in that position well we just went and got higher we got drunk and that's how we medicated things Mm -hmm. and so now we have to learn how to to manage stress much more effectively. And if you find yourself just reacting um, every time someone says something to you and just popping off the handle with anger or rage, um, which you know a little bit about, um, it just isn't going to work good for you. Um, You know, you may be able to hang on to that for a year or two, but that doesn't mean that your sobriety is thriving. It probably indicates it's struggling. Mm Mm-hmm. So well, we painted a, a a really bleak picture here. What what was your your old when you, you used to kick holes and stuff? What what did you call those? Anger holes. Anger holes. Yeah. <laughs> those are so funny. Yeah. It's been a while though. Yeah, it's, well, it's been a long while. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you did this here recently. <laughs> yeah, no. But uh, I just since we've done the show, you used to tell me about how you used to kick in holes and punch oh, in yeah. holes in walls. And oh yeah. Would have to repair them, but you, you had a name for them, so they were pretty common. Yeah. They were common enough for me to name them anger holes. Yeah. <laughs> so good. It's not good, but it is. Yeah. But you're right. It, it does sound like a bleak picture. Um, but the truth of the matter is that um, there's a very good possibility, no matter how far you get along in sobriety, whether it be weeks, years, or you know, whatever, that you'll find yourself back in, in some of these routines or these ruts Mm -hmm. because you know it's easy for us to fall back into these entrenched ruts that's that's been there for a lifetime with us or for some of us Mm -hmm. and um you know just we naturally can flow in that direction especially if we've quit doing meetings if we've quit talking to our sponsor if we've quit doing all the things that have begun changing us into a a better direction or we just or like, I don't really care about growing anymore. You know, I'm sober. That's good enough. And so I'm just going to just rest on my laurels now and just kind of sit back and hope it, hope it all works out. And, you know, there's no, there's no desire to keep growing as, as, a, as a person and, and growing, you know, and progressing forward. You know, for me, like if I'm not trying to grow, then, you know, I'm going back the other way. Or whatever. There's a catchy saying for that, but I forgot it. I, I know personally, you and I kind of have the same personality with all that of wanting to be better, to do better. In fact, there's probably almost an addiction in some ways to that, and I'm aware of that. So we may be a little, a little more to the extreme side of that than some would be. But I think the principle stays the same. You know, you, you can't just, just go through life whichever way the wind blows Mm -hmm. or you'll find yourself you know going in the wrong direction yeah you know there needs to be some sort of motivation to become better than you was yeah well i think that's enough to wrap this segment up but we will be back next week to talk about the things that a stable sobriety looks like yeah and i think that's gonna be a lot broader talk a lot um better talk because those are the things I'm trying to live today. Right. And I believe that all of us in recovery could live that way and be a better person. And 
find better things in life. Yeah, it would be something for anybody, not just somebody in recovery. True that. All right, well, that brings us to the end of another one. My name's Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.